0: Welcome to the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. I'm Kyle Brost, a strategist and changemaker. I'm the CEO of Spark Policy Institute, founder and principal at Choice Strategy Group, and contributor to Forbes, Thrive Global, and Influencer. I lead at the intersection of strategy and impact, where I turn ordinary individuals into strategists and change makers. Let's get started. Welcome to episode number one, the premiere episode of the Artist Strategic Reaction podcast. Today, we're going to talk about massive strategic reactions in life, how to recognize that you need one, and how to make it happen. In my career, I've had the chance to work with some phenomenally successful people and organizations, and something I've noticed is that they are great at strategic reactions, And something that surprises a lot of people is how frequently they make strategic reactions. Part of understanding a strategic reaction is recognizing that one, it's something that creates greater value, and two, it's something that leverages your skill or capability. If you're not ready to make a strategic reaction in life, you may miss some of the biggest opportunities presented. Now let's define a couple of terms. First is, what is the art of strategic reaction? Well, it's the ability to inject the right intention at the right time into an emotional or challenging situation. When someone has mastered the art of strategic reaction, it doesn't matter how intense or frustrating or emotional or challenging the situation, They can inject the right intention at the right time. That is a strategic reaction, and it is the core of what I'm teaching. Because when you learn the art of strategic reaction, you get the results out of situations you want. The second term is strategic shift. This is strategic reaction on a massive scale. It's the adjustment of the course of your life by finding a new intention, One that is more meaningful and powerful to you. So when your intentions shift across life, that creates a strategic shift. You'll hear both of those terms, strategic reaction and strategic shift or pivot, used throughout this podcast. Now you know what we're referring to. The interesting thing about strategic reactions in life is that they can happen in a number of ways. Sometimes they happen because there's a dramatic or intense situation that spurs it. Sometimes they happen over time. They accumulate. We've all heard those stories of somebody who hit rock bottom and had a strategic reaction because they had no other choice, but that doesn't have to be the case. You don't have to hit rock bottom, and you don't even have to be headed toward rock bottom to have a strategic reaction that sets you up for greater success in life and having a bigger impact on the world. Take, for example, two employees of the former home improvement chain, Handy Dan. Bernie Marcus and Arthur Bank. Both were employed by Handy Dan. Both were fired by Handy Dan. Well, over the next decade, the two opened more than 100 new stores and earned more than $2.7 billion in sales under the name Home Depot. That was a strategic reaction. They could have curled up, they could have moved on, they could have done something different. But they leveraged the skill that they had They reacted strategically to the experience, and that resulted in the creation of Home Depot. Let me share a little bit about my story. I grew up mainly in rural Wyoming, where I had the opportunity to see a lot of very hardworking people. My grandfather ran a farm and he lived on that uh, same piece of land his entire life. My father was a truck driver and was running companies all of the time. And so I had this chance to see what really hard work looked like. And (laughs) quite frankly, I didn't like what it looked like. And I didn't want to have to do those things. I didn't want to have to be a farmer and I didn't want to have to be uh, driving truck or something like that. So I was looking for a route out. And I had this really romanticized idea about what running a business meant. And so I thought that running a business, owning a business was my route to satisfaction and happiness in life, that that was the way I could get freedom. So when I graduated high school, after spending some time just giving service, I started to pursue this idea of running a business or starting a business. I just didn't have any money to do it or any education or skills that would help me get that money. So I took a job in the oil fields of Wyoming because frankly, you know, what they really cared about was somebody who could work hard and I at least was willing to do that. So I spent six months in the oil fields of Wyoming on a workover rig, which is a temporary structure. It's on the back of a truck. I was suspended 50 feet in the air, spending you know 12-hour days on the diving board, which is just a platform that's, I don't know, like three feet by eight feet, suspended 50 feet in the air. And I did that, backbreaking labor for six months, trying to save enough money to start a business. And the good thing was that I worked so many hours, all I did was work and sleep, so I was able to save all of my money And I took that money, and I bought a carpet cleaner, and I bought a van, and I went and got certified and trained to clean carpet. And that was the start of my first business. And boy, did I feel like I had something at that stage. I mean, I was legitimate. I had a carpet cleaner and a van and a business, and I was so far on my way to success. And in hindsight, and you know, other business owners that I talk to laugh at this. You know, I thought that I could escape the grind of a twelve hour day by owning my own company. And it is funny in hindsight because you know, all I did was change the work. But the hours and the responsibility and the burden were exactly the same. So I was trying to avoid this backbreaking labor um, and working you know 12 and 16 hour days that I saw my family do. And yet by starting this company, I put myself in the exact position to do that. And the other thing is I, I thought I had this really brilliant business model. Because I was in a college town, a lot of the apartments and dorm rooms will require college kids to um, have their carpet cleaned every year. I was a college student myself, so I didn't need a lot of money. So I thought, well, geez, this is perfect. I can charge less than all the other competitors. College kids will want to pay less. And so this will just be a perfect business model. And it was, quite frankly, it was a terrible business model for a couple of reasons. One, the backbreaking work was just the same. Two, if you're gonna be cleaning carpet, the last carpet you wanna be cleaning are dorm rooms and college apartments. And number three, if you're going to be asking people for money, the last people you want to be asking for money from are college students. So this brilliant business model, this escaping from what I you know, was trying to escape from, none of it worked out the way that I thought. It was not anything like I thought. I worked long hours doing it. I made no money. People weren't paying me. So it was just this crappy situation where I wasn't succeeding, but I'd put six months of backbreaking labor into it, and there was no way I was backing out of that situation. So I knew I had to make a shift. I had to do something different. And so I started to pursue contracts with real estate management companies and hotel chains, thinking that if I got contracts, one, I wouldn't have to clean dorm rooms anymore, and they'd be more likely to pay me. So that's the route I took. I started to pursue contracts with these individuals. And it was it was miserable. I mean, I was calling people, cold calling people. Nobody was answering my calls. Nobody wanted to return my calls. And it took me a long time to get any traction. And I got some contracts with a church and then a hotel. And it kind of built from there into what was something that could actually support and provide for me. Well, I'd been running that business for a couple of years when a really good friend of mine called up out of the blue and said, hey, I just found this opportunity. I think you should come join me and do it. And it didn't seem like something I wanted. It didn't seem at all like the direction I wanted to head. It was different than what I was doing. It was outside sales, which I had kind of gotten past. It was in a different state. It meant getting rid of the business I had. There were all of these factors, and I felt like I had this plan for my life, this course that I was on, and this was totally throwing the course off. But for some reason I spent a little bit of time thinking about it. And I had this like this this sense that kind of was building in me that was like, why would I do that? It doesn't fit anything that I want to do. And as I was thinking about that one day, how absurd it was that I was even considering it, this voice or thought or whatever you want to call it came into my head that said, some experiences aren't about you. And that just resonated. It hit me. And I thought, well, so geez, what are they about then if they're not about me? Um, And that was a pivot in my life when I realized that our overall experience in life shouldn't just be about satisfying and fulfilling our own needs. And so I took the opportunity. I sold my little business and I joined him and started a totally different company and business in a different state. And it was this dramatic shift. But that shift created a trickle down effect that has led to almost all of the other success that I've had in my life by making that one choice, that one shift and being ready to do it in that moment. That wasn't the end of it, though, because even though I'd had this mental shift from kind of self-centeredness to being a little bit more other-centered, I was still pursuing a lot of things that I just felt obligated to pursue, like wealth and success and running companies, but I didn't really have a logic or rationale for why I was doing it. But I continued to do it. So I ran that second company, which was an outside sales company, a freight brokerage dealing in international air freight. I ran that company for uh, almost four years before I sold it. And I went back to school, did an undergraduate degree in psychology, a master's in business, a couple of certifications. And through that process, I had the opportunity to start consulting as a strategy and organization design consultant. And the interesting thing about strategy work is it's really complex, really fascinating, really interesting, something I love tremendously. But the conversation with organizations, especially corporations, is almost always the same. You walk into the room and you're setting a target and trying to create a strategy to meet that target. But the target is almost always the same. The number differs, but it's almost always about how much we can increase profitability or how much we can increase revenue. So you set this target and it's almost always the same, profitability or revenue. And so while I loved the work, the more I did it, the more I started to get jaded to that conversation about profitability and about revenue. And it wasn't just arbitrary that I was getting jaded to it, it was from some real experiences. When I would work with an organization, we would set up strategy and we'd start pursuing it. And in 12 months, we'd come back and we'd review that strategy and how much progress had been made. And we could show how much additional profit was being made or how much more revenue was being made. But whenever I asked the question about what was done with it or how they used it or what impact it was having, the conversation would often fall silent. There were all of these small business owners who had made more profit due to a good strategy, but yet when we talked about what the impact was on their life, they couldn't identify what it was. And so after having a lot of those experiences, I started to wonder, well, what's the point if I'm helping organizations be more profitable, make more revenue, but the employees, the owners, the customers, if their lives aren't any better or different or exciting or more satisfying what's the point? And so it started to well up in me this sense of what is profit for profit's sake and why do we care about it? And so I had this moment where I was working with my largest client at the time, a very large Fortune 500 company. I'd done strategy with them a year before. I was coming back in to do strategy with them again. We got into a room together, as we often do, to have a working session. And it was me and several executives And we started the conversation and it went directly to what the targets were going to be. And so, you know, they had data and some rationale for why they were setting their targets, but it was a profitability target. And I don't remember the exact number, but, you know, two or three percent more profitability. And as they started to refine that target of profitability, I just stood up kind of out of nowhere and I said, "Okay, so if we hit this target, if we increase profitability by... 2%, how is anybody's life going to be different in 12 months? And the room just went silent. And everybody just stared at me. And I sat there staring back and being really uncomfortable about it because I hadn't planned this out. I had no intention for it. I didn't know how it was going to turn out. I wasn't planning on facilitating it. So everybody just stared at me. And it was quiet for an uncomfortably long period of time. And then somebody just started the conversation over and pretended like it didn't happen. And in that moment, I could have sat back down and let the meeting go on. But instead, I stopped and I said, no, I'm serious, guys. If we hit the target, how is your life any better or different? How are your people's lives any better? How are your customers' lives any better? Who cares if we hit this target if nobody's life is any better? And I forced them in that moment to explore that question. And frankly, I forced myself to explore that question. And that moment was a massive shift in my professional and my personal life. Now, those are just a couple of examples of strategic shifts in my life. And the interesting thing about strategic shifts in life is that they don't just happen once. They should be happening frequently in your life. Uh, Jason Jennings, who wrote the book, The Reinventors, looked at successful organizations and found that the most successful organizations were ones that were in a constant state of radical change and reinvention or in a constant state of strategic shifting. Well, our own lives are the same way. We have to be in a constant state of development and progress. We have to constantly be strategic shifting in life. You think about those people who rely on something really specialized. You think about an Olympian. How long are they gonna be able to rely on just that and live the life that they're living? A downhill skier's career length is not very long, they can't sustain it, their body can't sustain it. Even if you look at professional athletes, you look at a soccer player, the average career length of a soccer player, eight years. The average career length of an MLB player, 5.6 years. Average length of an NFL football player, three years. They will have to learn the art of strategic reaction in order to be sustain success in their lives. Well, we have to do the same thing. It doesn't matter what your career is. Nothing that you do will sustain itself forever. So you have to learn the art of strategic reaction. You have to learn to make big strategic shifts in your life so you can constantly adapt and adjust to the world around you. As I tell all of my clients, you don't have to change, but you have to compete with those who do change. Or as you can tell yourself, You don't have to change, but you have to live in a world that does so, and does so constantly. So the more effective you get at making strategic shifts, the more successful you'll be as a result. The best strategic reactions are the ones that take you to a higher level, that elevate your life, by bringing greater satisfaction, by helping you create more value, by having a greater influence on the lives of other people. Those are the kind of strategic reactions that you really want to make in life. Take, for example, Georgia Durant. You might not expect a teen to be a skilled driver, but not only was Georgia Durant good at driving, she was actually a go-to getaway driver for the mob while a teenager. It started while she was working at this popular mob hangout called Sundowners. As a teen, she was attracted to the intrigue of the place. And so she started working there. Well, one night as she's working, a patron pulls out a gun and shoots the man standing next to him while Durant witnesses the whole thing. So she's standing there in bewilderment, and before she can even process what had just happened, the owner of the club throws her some keys and says, hey Georgie girl, go get the car and bring it up. Well, she made it to the hospital with the injured man in record time, and that set off a series of events that led to her being an in-demand getaway driver for the mob. And she didn't ever really know what was going on because she was performing drop-offs, pickups, and eventually getaways from robberies. Well, after a while, though, she knew that she had to get out of that situation. So as soon as the opportunity arose, she took her daughter and she fled. And it was only days before she ran out of money— So needing cash and still trying to avoid notice so that they wouldn't find her, she realized that drivers on television were rarely on camera. So she was trying to avoid being seen. She didn't have that many skills, but she was a phenomenal driver. Well, it took a lot of persistence, but she finally got a chance to drive for a director. And her career as a stunt driver took off from there, and she never looked back since. Georgia Durant turned from crime to to commercials and eventually started her own driver school. She became so popular that she had to turn down work and left her formal life in the rearview mirror. The way she acquired the skills may not have been above board, but learning to apply those skills in different ways made Georgia Durant the true success that she is today. That was her strategic shift, and it's strategic because one, she had more intention embedded in it, and two, because she was leveraging the capabilities that she had developed to create greater value. And that's the lesson for each one of us. Make a strategic shift when there's an opportunity to create greater value, when there's an opportunity to be more intentional about the things you do and the things you pursue, Those are the strategic shifts we should be pursuing and keeping our eye out for. Here's how you do it. First, keep your eyes open to the periphery. Too many people are looking straight ahead and they're missing all of the opportunities that are coming in the periphery. Georgia Durant's opportunity wasn't the one that was straight in front of her. She had to take a course away from it to capture the opportunity. My opportunity wasn't something that was right in front of me. I had to move out of state and change industries. I had to shift the way that I approach strategy. The best opportunities are going to be those that come in the periphery. They're not the obvious things straight in front of you. So tip number one, keep your eyes on the periphery. Look outside of your tunnel vision, outside of where you're directed to see what opportunities are surfacing in other areas. Tip number two, think about what your intention is. What is it that you really want to achieve or capture or experience? And ask yourself Are the things I'm doing today getting me closer to that? Are they fulfilling my intention? I tell my corporate strategy consultant or my corporate strategy clients that your organization is perfectly designed to get the results that it's getting. Well, your life is perfectly designed to get the results that you're getting. So if you have a different intention, but you're not living in a way to get that, that's the opportunity for a strategic shift. So remember those two key pieces. One, keep your eye on the periphery for opportunities that aren't obvious. And two, ask yourself, what's my real intention? And am I living in a way that's going to get me to that point? Well, my friends, that is the art of strategic reaction. I hope you've enjoyed listening today and you've picked up some useful tools for your own life. Stay tuned for the next episode where we'll talk about injecting intention into any situation, no matter how stressful, emotional, challenging, or intense it might be, because injecting intention is a key part of strategic reaction. Look forward also to our upcoming guests, which include Cordia Harrington, who manufactures almost all of the buns for McDonald's, and Wilfred Emanuel Jones, who's the black farmer from the UK. It has been great talking to you all. I hope you enjoyed it. Please take a chance and check out my website, kylebrost.com, or follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, at Kyle Thanks so much for listening. All the best, my friends.